right, thanks so much, Kim. Uh, welcome to Fellowship Church. My name is Anthony. I'm pastor here at Fellowship Church, and if you're joining us online, we want to welcome you. Um, it's good to be back. We didn't have church last week. We had a lot of our staff come down with COVID, and that was no fun. Uh, but uh, grateful that everyone is well, and grateful that you guys are here today as we um, push through the fall. It is the last, or second to last Sunday in October, so craziness how time flies and actually feels like October uh, today also. Uh, so we're in a series right now uh, that is called um, just simply Exodus Journey, and we're looking at uh, the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and we're going to spend most of our time in the book of Exodus. Um, when you think about um, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, you're like, oh, that's boring. Uh, you're right, it, it can be boring, uh, but, but it's really not. If we look at the heart of what's going on, uh, God gave us that word for, uh, for living after him and chasing after him, and it shows us our need for a Savior. So we're going to take a couple breaks throughout this series, um, going through these several books in the Old Testament, and we'll, we have, I think, a relationship series this year. We've got you know, Christmas and Easter and all sorts of things going on. Uh, but we really want to focus on this, uh, these four books of the Old Testament. And what we're really looking at here is this idea that Israel had this journey from slavery in Egypt uh, toward freedom in what we would know as the Promised Land. The Promised Land being the land of Canaan, which we know today is the land of Israel. They were journeying to this place, but really they were journeying to somewhere far beyond that as God's goal for them was not a land or a nation, but it was a savior that would come from this particular people. Uh, but this journey from slavery to freedom was a very complicated journey, a journey of regrets, uh, a journey of wilderness, wanderings, of sin, uh, of second chances, of battles, of death. And um, what we'll look at today and all throughout this series, it's also a story of unrealized potential. And the reason we're looking at this and applying it to our lives today is we're relating this story to our story and our journey from slavery to sin uh, to freedom in Christ. A freedom that, just like Israel, it's not fully realized until Christ returns. And so while we walk in freedom through Christ, heading towards ultimate freedom in Christ, we're called to walk in freedom on the way. And so um, I am free in Christ, and if your faith is in Christ, you're free in him, but yet we haven't fully stepped into the full freedom he has. And so we're free, we're moving towards freedom, but we have to walk in freedom along the way, and that's what this series is about. And so we've introduced Moses um, in this series so far a couple of weeks ago, Casey Freshour, uh, talked about the introduction of Moses, which several times in the Bible he's called this, this beautiful baby. Casey talked about that. But we were introduced to Moses, who was an Israelite raised in an Egyptian home, literally in the house of Pharaoh. The Bible doesn't talk about that much, but it, it's reality. He's raised in the home of Pharaoh, and at 40 years old, he kills an Egyptian slave master who is abusing one of his fellow Israelites, and he flees to the land of Midian where he gets married and has children. And so that is where um, Casey left off a couple weeks ago. Um, last week, Paula led a, a short Bible study sermon um, online about what happens after that. So at 40 years old, um, he flees, but 40 years later, 
At 80 years old, while tending to his flock, Moses has an encounter with God on Mount Sinai. And God speaks to him through a burning bush. And side note, something, again, we don't usually look at in the story of Moses is his age. Um, ages are confusing in the Old Testament, particularly because people tended to live extraordinarily long lives up to this point. And so some of you, um, I don't know what this is like, but some of you had a midlife crisis when you turned 40 or when you turned 50 or 60 or 70, but Moses didn't even get started until he was 80. The, the, the thrust of his life and everything we know about Moses started at 80 years old. And if you think that you haven't figured out your life yet, don't worry. Moses didn't either uh, until he was 80. And, and sadly, he never really figured it out the rest of the way either. But 80 years old, God calls him. And God calls Moses to make his way back to Egypt and to convene with the elders and the leaders of the nation of Israel and go to the Pharaoh and request that the Pharaoh let his people go. But Moses questions Pharaoh. Now, um, Paula pointed out last week, and this is something that I've really been wrestling with, we don't really know if Moses even fully understood who or even knew who God was. Um, he was raised for 40 years in Egyptian culture, in Egyptian religion, in the Pharaoh's house, but yet Yahweh, the God of creation, the God of scripture, the God of Christianity, the God of Israel, comes and encounters Moses. And so when we don't even fully know Moses' understanding, he questions God, and God tells him, hey, this is for real. This calling is legit. And the way that you'll know that this calling is legit is that one day you'll see the calling fulfilled, and that's the proof that you know it's true. Now, if you kind of pay attention to that, I would be frustrated if I was Moses, because if I'm questioning God, God, how will I know this stuff will come to be? And God says, you'll know it when it happens. And he's like, that's not the question I asked. That's not the answer I'm looking for. I want some proof. And so Moses then says, okay, if I'm going to tell people about this, who on earth am I going to say sent me? And God says to Moses, tell your people that uh, I am sent you or I am who I am. And he tell them that Yahweh sent you. That is the name of God in the Old Testament, the God who was, who is, who is to come, the God who is becoming. Tell them that Yahweh sent you, the God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And that's where we left off. Moses is questioning God's call on his life on the top of Mount Sinai. And here he's going to question it a little more. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 4. We're going to read today through verse 1 through 17. And though it doesn't seem like it would apply to our lives at all, I want to show you how it, it very much does. So you can read along with me on the screen behind me. Uh, if you're joining online, the verses will be up on the screen. Or if you have our app, FC online, the verses are all there. There's a lot of verses on the app today um, that are applicable to this message that we're not actually reading through. I'd encourage you to read. So Exodus 4, 1 through 8 says, Then Moses answered God, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Yeah, right, Moses. Now, now people knew who Moses was. Like, you're literally raised as an Egyptian. You were raised in the Pharaoh's house. You're a part of the problem. You're a part of the system, and you're going to tell us that God came to you and told you to come to us and that you're going to lead us to freedom? 
God, they're not going to believe such a thing. And so the Lord says to Moses, okay, you don't think that they'll believe you, but Moses, what's that that you have in your hand? And think about that for a minute. I'm asking you that question. What's in your hand? Uh, it, it, most of us, it's like, well, it's, it's a phone is in my hand. Or, you know, what's in your hand? It might be a computer. It might be a phone. It might be a hammer. It might be a shovel. It might be a calculator. It might be paperwork that you're shuffling. It might be relationships and people and influence that you have in the world. What is it you have in your hand? And Moses is a shepherd. He owns sheep. He's tending sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro. And so God says, what's in your hand? And he's like, it's just a staff. I've got a staff in my hand. And a staff was used to kind of prod sheep along to ward off predators that would come to try to take the sheep. And he's like, I've got this staff in my hand. And so God says to him, throw the staff on the ground. Seriously, God? So he throws it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. How many of you have a phobia against snakes, afraid of snakes? Uh, me, literally, n- no, no phobia about snakes. It's rats for me. Um, I cannot handle rats. And so if I were to throw, if God says, throw your phone on the ground and a rat started crawling around, I would scream like a little girl, run in circles, get to something high and call for my wife to come and take care of it. Um, (laughs) Because she doesn't fear things like that. She's afraid of fish. That's her fear. So she can take my rats, I can take her fish, and we are perfect together. Because rats and fish are a common problem in everyday life. And so a snake... Uh, slithers on the ground. Moses runs from it. It says, but the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch the snake by the tail. Now, keep in mind, the staff is probably about six-ish feet tall. This is probably a six-foot-long snake. And God's like, no big deal, Moses. Just reach down and pick it up. How many of you could do it? Reach down, pick up the snake by the tail. I read this news article this week about a woman who wore a um, a it was either a snake or a spider. I think it was a spider brooch she wore on, on her blouse. And several employees complained about the brooch, and the company made her take it off because some people were so afraid of spiders, they couldn't deal with her wearing a brooch. That's a little bit much. Um, but how many of you could not pick up the snake? You're like, I can handle the brooch, but I couldn't pick up the snake by the tail. But It says, so Moses put out his hand, and he caught the snake by the tail, and right when he grabs it, it becomes a staff in his hand. Pretty incredible day. It becomes a staff. And it says this, the Lord told him, this is that they might believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. If they don't believe you, just throw your stick on the ground. It'll become a snake. Pick it back up. It's going to become a staff again because magic tricks always do the job. Right, Moses? And and this becomes very applicable later on in the story, this idea of like, well, these magicians for Egypt, they're kind of doing the same thing. So what's so significant about this? And so in verse 6, it says, again, the Lord said to him, okay, you still don't believe me. Put your hand inside of your cloak. So Moses puts his hand inside of his cloak. And he put his hand inside, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. That's more freaky to me than the snake. You take your hand out of your shirt, and it looks like snow. I have a, a common trick I like to play with little kids where I will, like, pull my um, hand in my sleeve and tell them I've lost my hand. And to actually, what if you were to show a little kid, like, look at this, leprosy. Look, kids. 
Again, strange things. And so Moses' hand is leprous. And that's a big deal in the ancient world. So God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. And he puts it back inside. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. So leprosy, no leprosy. Snake, no snake. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the last sign. If they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water out of the Nile River. The very thing that was synonymous with Egyptian civilization, uh, the Nile. Egypt was called the gift of the Nile. And so if you would draw this water out from the Nile River, he says, and if you pour the water on the ground and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. So these are some weird signs that God gives to Moses while he's by himself. Keep in mind, God is speaking this entire thing to him through a burning bush on top of Mount Sinai in the middle of nowhere. What are these signs doing? These signs are showing a couple things, that God is over the animal kingdom. God is over the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom can be pretty wild. There's a video, and if you haven't seen it, you should look it up, uh, of a monkey. It looks like it's in India that rides a motorcycle, hops off, and kidnaps a kid. Have you seen that video? Like, that's a bad day when, when a motorcycle monkey kidnaps a child. There, there's wild things that animals do. My wife and I were watching a video last night of a lady just minding her own business, also in India, uh, eating on a sidewalk, and a leopard just comes up and straight up attacks her while she's eating. She has to fight off the leopard uh, in order to get about her day. And, and here we are afraid of rats. You know, we've got it pretty easy. And so these signs show that God's over the animal kingdom. He's over humanity. And if you think animals are wild, you should meet people. God is even over humanity, including our bodies, including our health. And finally, God's over the very elements of nature, the very substance of life, water and blood. But really, if you think about it, and if you read through the book of Exodus, these signs that God gives to Moses, they foreshadow future events in this Exodus journey, including the plagues that are about to come on Egypt, and events that the Israelites themselves will face. They'll have a uh, problem with snakes in the future. Um, they'll have a problem with leprosy in the future. And there will be many events involving water and this staff of Moses. And so this is pretty incredible. God has Moses at these signs. Moses is like, okay, I believe I believe you, Yahweh. I believe what you're telling me. I, I, I'm seeing these signs, and clearly you are the one who you say that you are. But I've got a problem. You see, Moses doesn't doubt God. Moses now doubts himself. Exodus 4.10 says, Moses says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past, probably talking about his days in Egypt, or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and tongue. God, you want me to go and talk to Pharaoh, which, by the way, is probably Moses' like, uncle, adopted uncle. You want me to go and talk to Pharaoh. You want me to go and stand before the Egyptian courts. You want me to go back to the Israelites. I'm an outsider. You want me to talk to the leaders of the people. And God, you've done all these incredible signs, and that's 
I appreciate it. But the thing is that you don't know God is that I can't speak publicly. I can't do it. I've got speech issues. How many of you would not be comfortable speaking in front of a president, a king, a prime minister, let alone public or anyone at all? Moses is doubting not God, but doubting himself. But in doubting himself, he's actually doubting God. And so in verse 11, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, Moses, go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. So God is to Moses like, Moses, I just turned your staff into a snake. I just turned your hand into leprosy and back. Moses, I just told you that you could pour water from the Nile on the ground and it would turn to blood. And you don't think that I can make you speak whatever I want you to speak? Moses, if I want you to talk, I'll make you talk. I'll make you a puppet if I have to. I'll speak through you. But Moses, I'm just asking you to be willing to do this. If you read forward um, hundreds of years in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, the prophet, a young prophet, has the same issue. He's like, God, I don't know how to speak. And God tells Jeremiah, I I can do it. And Jeremiah relents. He trusts God, and God does use Jeremiah to speak as a prophet. He believes he's too young, but God uses him anyways. That's not Moses' problem. Moses is 80 years old. And so in verse 13, Moses says, Oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. So here we learn that for some reason, somehow, Moses actually keeps connection and relationship with his birth family. His biological brother, Aaron, he has relationship with. They're descendants of the tribe of Levi, descendants of Israel, their father. And Moses says, I can't do it. Send someone else. God says, okay, your brother's a good speaker. I'll use him. In fact, he's on his way here. Let's ask him. And I I actually kind of wonder, like, is God testing Moses here? Because if I'm Moses and God says, hey, okay, you don't want to do it. Let's use your brother who's a great speaker. I'd be like, nope, I'm in, God. I, I want the glory. I want, I want to do it. But that's not what Moses does. Verse 15, God says, you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. Aaron shall speak for you to the people And Aaron will be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. I'll describe that real briefly. You will be like God to him. Later on, uh, the Bible says that Moses was like God to Pharaoh. Uh, The book of Hebrews says that we as Christians are a priesthood. We are priests. That means we speak on behalf of God. And so God is not telling Moses or Aaron that they will be God or gods. He is just saying they will be God's representatives to these people, just as oftentimes throughout history, priests have represented God to people. This is how God sees this relationship 
from Moses to Aaron and from Aaron then to the Pharaoh. And so God calls Moses, but Moses refuses to go on God's terms. So let's start to have some application here. How many times has God called you to do something, but you weren't willing to do it on his terms? God might say, I want to bless you with this, this, and this, which he does, by the way. But we say, okay, God, we want the blessing, but we don't want the sacrifice it takes to get it. We want the blessing, but we don't want to put in the work or the energy or the time that it takes to give it. God, I don't want to go on your terms. But you see, God does not relent on his calling for Moses. He called Moses all along. He planned on using Moses all along. But now what he does is he gives part of his calling away to his brother. And if you read this story, I actually wonder if things would have went down differently had Moses had said, yes, I'll go and I'll speak. I I almost wonder if it wouldn't have been so difficult for the Pharaoh to release the Israelites. I wonder if the Israelites wouldn't have had so much grumbling in the wilderness. I wonder if the Israelites wouldn't have so quickly turned to other gods and lost battles. I even wonder if Moses, if he would have been obedient with this one first thing, I wonder if he would have been obedient when God said to strike a rock and not had done it multiple times and missed out on going to the very land he was supposed to lead people to. I believe that one decision can have incredible impact on our potential and our future. And so now this whole mission is reduced to a game of telephone. Okay, God, you speak to me. I'll speak to Aaron. Aaron will speak to Pharaoh. And even under the best of circumstances and with the greatest of intentions, the game of telephone usually does not work very well. You ever play it with kids before? Like you put 10 kids in a row, and whatever the last kid says is gold. But what the first kid hears is often just normal. So there's this game of telephone where Moses could have been the direct line. He advocates it for a game of telephone. And though Moses is certainly a hero in the overarching story of God, he certainly has also missed out on the fullness of his calling. And I am confident Moses missed out on the fullness of his blessing. And think about that for a minute. Has God called you? And have you doubted him? And have you tried to advocate your calling to someone else? And I would encourage you today, don't take shortcuts in the callings of God. I would encourage you not to take the easy way. I would encourage you not to buy the cheap tickets. I would encourage you to go all the way with whatever it is God has called you and asked you to do. Because when we walk in the fullness of God's calling, with the fullness of obedience in our lives, we will see the fullness of his purposes unfold for our lives and the fullness of our blessing. And so this little part of the story ends with verse 17. It just ends with this. God says, take in your hand this staff with which you shall do signs. God's just letting Moses know, you're, you're still doing it, Moses. Take your staff. You can do the magic tricks. You can hold up your staff and the Red Sea will part. You can hit a rock and water will come out with this staff. I'm going to use you, Moses. But you've missed out on the fullness of it. I called you to speak, but instead I'm sending someone else. I'm going to send your 
brother, and your brother, by the way, is going to betray you one day. I think things would have went radically different had Moses just said, yes, send me, I'll go, I'll do the tricks, and I'll talk the talk. So here's our application. It doesn't seem very applicable to us, but, but hear me out. God has called you to freedom. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that God has set us free. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. God has called you to freedom. And on this journey of freedom, as we await the Lord's return, we are to continuously walk in it. We are continuously to walk in freedom. And part of walking in freedom from sin, freedom to have relationship with God, part of walking in that freedom is calling others to the freedom that we possess. You see, each and every follower of Jesus, each person who's been called and set forth into freedom, we've been called to do the work of freedom together on behalf of God. You might say, well, what am I called to do? Well, number one, you are called to go and make disciples of all nations. You are called to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are called to teach people everything Jesus has commanded until he returns. We've each been called to proclaim the excellencies of God who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And each of us, individually, as followers of Jesus, people called to freedom, each of us have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we can walk in them. Each of you have been called to go, to proclaim, and to do good works. And if you ever doubt that you can walk in the good works that God's prepared for you, if you've ever doubted that you could go, that you could proclaim, if you've ever doubted that you were created to do anything good, if you ever have thought before that people won't take you seriously when you go and when you proclaim and when you do good things, a lot of us, we stop because we play out in our minds what people will say to us if we actually do the things we're called to do. I think that Moses, and it's almost abundantly clear, Moses is much more fearful of going to talk to his own people than he is to talk to Pharaoh. Because that was the beginning journey. He just had to go talk to the leaders of the people and get them on his side. But instead, God's going to use Aaron. So what do you think they would have said? You're just the guy who killed the slave master 40 years ago and made life more difficult for us. You're just the guy who was a screw-up in school. You're just the girl who, who never made right choices as a teenager. We grew up with you. We know what you're really like. We know who you are. We know your mom. We know your dad. We know the family you came from. It's a mess. We don't really think God sent you. You'll always be a loser, a failure. You'll always be just like. You'll always be an addict. You'll always be this or this or this or this. We know your past. There's no way you could be called to do something like this. How many of you have this kind of fear? You see, it's, it's, it's fear of going to our family that surpasses the fear of going out into a mission field of people we don't know. It's the fear of going to our friend circles 
who we used to do those things with, that they will think that we're now self-righteous or holier than them or better than them. And so we don't want to, to kind of shuffle the little mix-up of our friend circle. Our coworkers know we're not like that. And so if we come across like, like, like God's taught, told us to do something, they're not going to believe me. They're going to reject me. They're not going to listen to me. So if you've ever doubted that you could walk in the good works God's made you for, if you've ever thought that people won't take you seriously when you say, God told me, just remember that it's God's power working in you, not yours. You didn't turn the staff into a snake. You could never do that. This is not about you. This is about God's power. Just remember that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Now, that verse that we often quote, Paul's talking about being persecuted. You can go through any kind of persecution because God gives you strength. And so here we are afraid of, of telling a coworker about Jesus or afraid of praying for a cousin who we haven't talked to in five years since we've come to Christ. We're afraid of them, but yet Paul was talking about not being afraid of like Roman executioners who could cut your head off, which is what happened to him. You've got to remember when you're doubting your calling, when you're doubting God's ability through you, that it's not by your might. It's not by your power, but it is by the Spirit of the Lord that you can do the things that God's called you to do. And you've also got to remember that when you go out and about doing God's work, it's not your past reputation. It is not what people think about you. It's not your past that dictates the work you do for God. Instead, people will begin to know you by your love and by the fruit your life bears for God. Galatians 5, and 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things you'll be known for. And if you begin to walk not in your power, but in his power, and if you can begin to walk in his love, and if you can begin to walk in the fruit of his spirit, in your obedience, the Holy Spirit will be tangible to those around you. The Holy Spirit will be tangible to those that you've been called to. And when you start doing the things that God's called you to do, when you're around people and if they're questioning you, despite the words coming out of your mouth from God or despite the work that God's doing from you, there is a harsh reality that people will either have their hearts softened to what God is doing through you or their hearts will actually harden to what God is doing and speaking through you. Because that's what would happen to Pharaoh. Moses would go with Aaron. They would speak to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh wasn't like, oh, I am convicted and I repent and my heart is soft and I want to turn to Yahweh and against the gods of Egypt. Instead, the Bible says, his heart grew even harder and he held on even tighter. And so you might say, well, pastor, what if I go to minister to, to help, to do good, to reach, to tell someone about Jesus and they have their heart hardened. Yeah, that will happen. What if their heart is softened? Awesome. Praise God. That's amazing. The deal is, is it's not up to you. What's on you is your obedience to God's call on your life and the freedom he's called you to. 
And so will Pharaoh always say, yes, let my people go? Will your sister-in-law always say, oh, please, you can pray for me? Will your coworker always say, yes, I'll go to church with you? The answer is no. But it's not on you. It's on God who's working through you. And just as Moses had this staff, God has given you all you need to walk in his calling on your life. And oftentimes, when I think about God's call on my life, I think about what I don't have. How much easier it would be if I. How much simpler it would be, God, why didn't you call me to Texas? People, people go to church there. You know, why didn't, why didn't you call me to, to this culture or this place or this people? God, why haven't you given me more of this kind of resources or money or, or this or this or this? But the deal is, whatever God's called you to do, he's given you all you need to complete it. So Moses, what's in your hands? It wasn't money. It was, a, it was a staff. Okay, use that. Drop it on the ground. Watch it turn into a snake. So in your hand, there might be a staff or there might be a microphone. It might be a pen. It might be a computer. It certainly will be your skills, your talents, your spiritual gifts, your abilities. For some of you, it is your finances. Some of you, God has blessed you with the ability to make money. And and that's not a bad thing. That's actually a great thing, something that everybody would would envy and desire to have that ability too. If I were to say, like, how many of you would not desire to make money? No one's going to say, like, yeah, I really don't like money. I really would like less of it. Okay, holier than thou. Go back to your circle. But, but some of you, God's literally given you the ability to, to make money in ways that other people just could not to be successful in ways that other people try way harder than you and can never drum up the kind of success that you have. And that's your staff. For some of you, it's your connections. What's in your hand? Well, it's connections. God's connected you with people. Moses had the greatest connection in the world, and he failed to fully walk in it. That connection was his connection to the Pharaoh himself. But the connection, even though it was one of his strongest things in his hands, he was too afraid to actually wield it, and so he sent his brother instead. For some of you, it's your influence. Some of you, you're just crazy, amazing at, I mean, influencing people. You're really good at influencing people. And the difference between influence and manipulation is influence is for good, manipulation is for evil. Influence is to help other people. Manipulation is to help yourself. Some of you have influence which can help other people. And maybe you haven't been called to be a shepherd, um, to have a microphone and sing, to write beautiful poetry, but you just are good at drumming up crowds and people, and you have influence. And some of you just, you don't use your influence and you're sending other people out instead. Like, send my brother. Your brother doesn't have as much influence as you do. Send my brother. He'll speak for me. I don't want your brother to speak for me. I want you to speak. You've got what God's given you. And if Moses would have just realized it wasn't just a staff he had, he could have said, I have vocal cords. I have a body. I have feet. I have hands. I have lungs. 
Some of you, all of you have time. What, what's in your hand, Moses? What, it's, I've got time. I mean, literally Moses had time. He, he had 40 years out in the wilderness raising sheep. He had 40 years. All of you have time at your disposal. Yet all of us love to say how busy we are. But we all have time. It's just how you use it. How will you use the staff of time in your hand? Okay, Moses, throw it on the ground and watch what I can do with your time. If some of you would just give a minute, 5, 10, 15 minutes to God daily, he could turn a snake in, out of it. Like he could do a miracle with that staff of 10 minutes, drop it on the ground and see how productive that time could be if you would just give some time to him. So when you're faced with your calling, and each of you are faced with a calling, when you're faced with your calling, look at what God has placed in your hands and use it. You may just see signs and wonders accompany you if you would actually drop your staff. Mark 16, um, it says, these signs will accompany those who believe, and it goes on to list supernatural, miraculous gifts of the Spirit that will accompany and follow people who follow the freedom they have in Christ. And most of us never exhibit those kind of things in our life because we're not even willing to use the staff that God's given us to use. So use that staff. Microphones, pens, computers, hammers, chisels, paintbrushes, computers, skills, gifts, talents, abilities, finances, connections, influence, and time. Use those things. You might say, okay, I'll, I'll use it, but I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray out loud. I don't know how to read out loud. I don't know how to tell my story of what God's done to me. I don't know what to do if someone questions me about my faith. Well, Jesus promises a solution to that. You see, Moses had the power of God working on his life. But those who have been set free by Jesus have the spirit of God in our life. You have more power than Moses as a Christian, by the way. That's why Jesus said, greater things than these will you do. That's why Jesus said, these signs will accompany those who believe. Because Moses had to have the power of God rest on him. But as a follower of Jesus, the spirit of God lives in us. We have the power within us. And so those who have been set free, they have the spirit living within them. And Jesus promises this in Matthew 10. Jesus says, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and they'll flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. You ever had that happen before? Where you just open your mouth and things 
that you could never come up with on your own came out of your mouth and landed on someone's heart and made an impact and a change. When I go into meetings with people that are going to be difficult or they're going to they're be times where people are in crisis, I don't plan what I'm going to say beforehand because I don't need to. It doesn't mean I'm not prepared. It doesn't mean I'm not prayed up, but that's the thing, prayed up. To go in and to go in with a soft, open heart, to hold the staff that God has given me in my hand, and then allow his spirit to speak through me on behalf of him for other people and not needing an errand to go in between. God gives you things to say when you don't even know how to say it. And I've seen it happen with many of you to me and with me to you. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch God work in such a way. And you see, if the Spirit can give us things to say in such situations, what situations? Going before kings and executioners and courts. If the Spirit can give you things to say to them, I'm confident he'll do the same when you stand before your friends, your co-workers, your family members, and whoever God calls us to speak to. God does miraculous things that we'll never understand. My wife told me the other night um, that I, she uh, woke up in the middle of the night because I was talking in my sleep, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember what I was doing. I was praying for Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. And she's like, what am I? Yeah, in my sleep, I was just like interceding on his behalf. No clue why. So God just does strange things. They would, Pastor, that was just your COVID fever. Maybe. But you don't just wake up in the middle of the night praying for Jeff Bezos. I mean, God does weird stuff, and his spirit is somehow, for some reason, working through you, interceding for other people. And it was the funniest thing. I can remember the prayer in my sleep. It was like, I literally prayed, oh, God, just as Jeff Bezos has used the net to capture customers, don't let him be caught in the nets. I'm like, what was that? <laughs> like, God's spirit does weird stuff. Let's pray for Jeff Bezos if you think about it. Supply chain is in trouble. He's got to get products out. So final application. God doesn't need us in the mission of calling others to freedom. He doesn't need you. But he's chosen. He's chosen for you to do it. He's chosen for this to be the way. So you could say, does God need you? No. Is it the way God chose for it to happen? Yes. Does God need us? No. Do we need to do it? Yes. He doesn't need us, but he's chosen us, and there might be all sorts of errands out there who could take your place, willing to do the work that you are not. Why would you want to miss out on your blessing? Why would you want others to miss out on the unique ministry that only you could give them? You see, there's people that God has put in your life that you're called to minister to. And though your brother Aaron may be able to, they need you, not him. If God puts something on your heart to do it, do it. Don't send your brother. Do it yourself because they're missing out. You're missing out. And you're not fully walking 
in the blessings of God. And sure, someone else might reach them. But how much better would it be if it were actually you? We often say to ourselves, like, oh, someone else Someone else will do it. You know, I, I know God's calling me to serve in this way. I know this nonprofit has been contacting me to volunteer. I know my church has been asking me to give or to serve. But it's cool because someone else will do it. Here's what I've learned in life. Oftentimes, if someone else will do it, nobody else will. God's called you to do it. God's called you. Don't miss out on what God has. And don't let the blessing go to someone else because that someone else has their own call on their life, and you don't need to make it more complicated. Because Aaron had a completely different calling on his life, and this just made it much more stressful. Things go easier, more peacefully, simpler when we're in God's will. Might be hard, might hurt, might suck, might not be the greatest thing ever, but things go better as they were meant to be. Would you guys bow your heads? We're going to prepare our hearts to, to sing. Um, we'll have some team up here ready to pray with you um, as we close out the service in this song or after our service. We'd love to lay hands and pray for any need that you have. But be challenged today to do the unique work God's called you to do. Be challenged today not to waste another day not fulfilling the calling God has for you today. Be challenged today to step into your calling yourself and not to send your brother. Be challenged today to use what's in your hand and to open your mouth and to let God speak exactly what needs to be said when it needs to be said and trust him with the rest. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for calling us to freedom from slavery to sin. Thank you for the freedom we have to be in relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for living a perfect life we could not, for dying a death in our place that we deserve to die, and for raising from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, hell, and death. Thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful gift of grace that we call salvation, where you have forgiven us of our sins, you've restored us to relationship with God, you've given us the freedom and the power of the Spirit and even everlasting life. Thank you, Jesus, that this is a free gift that cannot be earned, but one instead that is given undeservedly as a gift of grace that we can only receive by faith. So, Lord, if there's anyone here who has not put faith in you, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would convict them of their sin, show them their need for a Savior, and give them the faith to trust in Jesus as the only one who can save. God, as we come into our calling as we hear your calling and your voice over our life. Each and every one of us have one. Things we were created to do, I ask in the name of Jesus that we would use what's in our hand, that we would speak what you put in our mouth, and that we would go and not wait for someone else. God, we lift up our week to you. May it be fruitful. May we be faithful. And may we be effective for you. In Jesus' name, amen.